actually Googled the manual and found that there's a, there's a, a blog site in another part of the world. Parks, but I didn't live there for long. I grew up in Grafton, uh, that way. Um, went to high school there. Uh, Dad worked at the jail. Uh, Mum worked for the post office. Uh, I guess like a lot of kids, I didn't, I didn't appreciate just how good life was on the North Coast till I left. So uh, left there, went down to Sydney to study, met this cute little Chinese girl at uni and just never got around to leaving. So, I, yeah, I live down there and get out of the city whenever I can. So you're still at uni? Sorry, mate? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? You said you met her at uni and you didn't get around to leaving. So oh, right. No, no, not still at uni. I'm still in, still in Sydney. So uh, yeah. you met Cathy? Yep. Um, at university. And, yep. Um, what did you study at uni and where did that lead you work-wise? I uh, studied marketing and... Uh, I wanted to go out in the business world, make a whole lot of money, that sort of thing. Uh, so I worked in that oh, probably three years. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, I became a Christian at university. God and his kindness put me in a room. I, I, are we recording this? Um, we can delete it later. Yeah, I was just going to say, my mum, my mum dragged me along to a really strict little Presbyterian church when I was a kid. And I went because I loved my mum. She was a real sweetie, but I couldn't wait to escape. And so I've escaped to the big city and then God put me in this residential college right beside this other young bloke who's the first Christian bloke I've met my age and I was really impressed with how he lived. Like I was doing all sorts of stupid stuff. I think sin is a better word for it. Um, and Bryson, he, he really, I was so impressed with how he treated people. So when he invited me to come along and hear the Bible taught by the chaplain there, Philip Jensen, I said, yeah, all right, mate, I will. So... That happened at the end of university and then I worked in the business world for, what, three years? And the, that same bloke, Philip Jensen, put his big hand on my shoulder and said, how about you give up your job and um, come do like an apprenticeship for Christian ministry? And I told him no the first year because I still wanted the money and the career. And the, but he asked me again the next year. I said, yeah. Um, so... That's when I met this bloke and this apprenticeship, 1983, I don't know, 84. I did three and four, you did four, yeah. So. Yeah, just going back a bit to when, when you met this fellow called Bryson, what, yep. what was it that persuaded you? Like you, you were aware of Christianity, your mum had taken you along to church and stuff like that, but you didn't want to have anything to do with it. What persuaded you to change your mind about that? He actually seemed like he enjoyed it instead of it being the fun police. Yeah. That made me listen. Oh, that's, yeah, okay. 
So, and then you hear the Bible taught and you realise actually Jesus came to give us life, not suck the joy out of life. That was the main kind of light switched on, I think. So, yeah, and he also treated people really well. And uh, I did and wasn't. And, uh, yeah, that, it just, he treated people with respect. Um, yeah, that was really impressed me. So he went from marketing to do an apprenticeship to be a minister. That's a pretty dramatic change. Oh, just a better product, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was selling paint to panel beaters who didn't want it. Like, you know, so... Yeah, if, if your heart's in the product and you reckon it's really going to last, it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, presumably, uh, you decided through that apprenticeship this was for you. You went off to Bible college. Yeah. Um, you're married at this stage. You've got some kids. Yeah, I've got four kids. Uh, so four kids. Uh, last one, I got my son. I, mar- I did the wedding for my son in November. We got him married. Yeah, got that over the line. And uh, three grandkids. If you've got kids and you haven't got grandkids yet, hang on, that's your reward for parenting. Seriously, it's, just, it's great fun, and you play with them, and you just hand them back. It's just <laughs> hang in there. Yep. Add a bit of red cordial. And, uh, yeah, fill them up with sugar, whatever, but it just that hear you idea. That just, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've had a bit of experience as a minister, like I'm guessing you have because you're getting close to retirement age. Um, what sorts of ministries have you been involved in? Oh, yeah, I did, um, when I first finished college, worked out at Mount Druitt for, for three years, That's, uh, that was good. I worked at um, uh, University of New South Wales, the student church there for 10 years or so, was in, uh, um, I was an Anglican bishop for a while, um, uh, I'm just not the world's most patient man. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, there's no, I, I just, wrong man in the wrong job. I just found myself being cranky all the time with people and bureaucracies and stuff. And I thought, time to leave before I'm in the bell tower shooting people. So, <laughs> I, left, I left before anyone got hurt. Uh, just on that, shooting people. Uh, what, what recreational activities do you love and enjoy? Uh, I've got a prenup agreement with Cathy that um, I just head off for a week or so each year and help the environment by shooting a few feral pigs. So that's, um, yeah. Pigs are my favourite animal. Like three different kinds of meat, bacon, ham, pork, and you can have a great holiday chasing them around. Like they, it's just, that's my favourite animal. Yeah. yeah. And you know the difference between eggs and bacon, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one minute, I can do it. The, the chicken's involved and the pig's committed. Is that right? That's right. That's it, yeah. yeah. That's an old preacher's one. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, so you've written this book uh, called The Manual, Getting Masculinity Right. And um, as I went through that, um, I, I recognised that you've not only been engaging with says you've thought about things through your own experience and you've read widely about the culture that we're in and what people are thinking and saying and promoting in terms of masculinity. What what kind of um, drove you to dig into this as a project? Uh, I say it in the book, 2018, I spoke at a men's event, a bit similar to this, and um, give some talks and had a Q&A session. 
And it was a young Asian bloke, like, I don't know, 18, 19, something like that, put his hand up and he said, what does it, it mean to live as a man these days? Like, I, it's really confusing. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I thinking back, I answered him in cliches, you know, and um, I didn't have a proper answer for him. Well, that, I took six months off and read a bit and... This is also proof that anyone can write a book, by the way. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I haven't been able to track down which young bloke it was, but that would be my answer. Um, masculinity's been devalued in our society, terribly, called toxic, all that sort of thing. And I'll tell you something, that can only happen when life is very safe, right, and very soft. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know how long that's going to keep going for. Um, but I just want to say to blokes, God made you for a reason. Stand up straight and let's get on with it. That's it, yeah. Well, we look forward to hearing what you've got to say, and I'll sit down and um, leave you to Ah, oh, thanks, Macca. Good on you. By the way, after our speech, we will have an opportunity for questions. Uh, so um, if you're thinking of things that come up, um, just hang on to that and we'll take questions up. You might have to help me with them. I'm half deaf. I'm... Yep. All right. Great to be here, gentlemen. Uh, let me see if the technology is going to work. The American philosopher Henry David Thoreau uh, wrote in the 1800s. I haven't read his books, but I've read the most famous sentence that he wrote. He said this, The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Now, I don't know if that's you, but I'll tell you what, I've been speaking to blokes, hundreds of blokes, over 40 years now. And you've only got to just quietly just scratch a little bit, and very often that desperation's there. That quiet desperation that they carry around. Now why? Well, let me give you three, three possible reasons. One is, you get to a certain age, and your dreams begin to die. I don't mean you realise you, you know, you'll never play cricket for Australia. Although the way things are going, you're a chance, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, those things that you kept, you longed for, you hoped for, and then you get to a certain point and you realise they're never going to happen. Uh, there's a book about uh, men called um, Iron John by this bloke, Robert Bly. Um, it's a strange book. He's got a good quote in it. He, he, it's an American book, but I'm sure you can make the translation. He says this, A young man in high school dreams that he'll be a race driver, a mountain climber. He'll marry Miss America. He'll be a millionaire by 30. <clears throat> he'll get a Nobel Prize in physics by 35. He'll be an architect and build the tallest building ever. He'll get out of this hick town and live in Paris. He'll have fabulous friends. And by 35, all these dreams are ashes. As you get older, you, your options and your choices narrow. There was a time when I thought about joining the army. Now I don't know if I can get into the Salvation Army. All right, your <laughs> options narrow. So if you get to a certain age, your dreams begin to die. Or another second reason, that's the heartache we carry around. I don't know anybody who's got to kind of midlife and doesn't have major heartache in their life. And that might be a divorce, marriage that didn't work out. It might be kids, kids that you 
got them and you don't want them or you want them and you can't have them or just or it might be an illness it might be the thing that you carry around the sickness or someone you love or it might be a business that didn't work out or it might be the be this heartache that we carry around but I'll tell you the one that's really common third one is groundhog day now um, can you just no one puts their hand up at meds things so I know that um, because just not if you know, you've seen the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, yeah, it's a ring, ring a bell. If you haven't seen it, you ought to watch. It's probably 20 years old now. It's a great show. Bill Murray plays this American reporter, uh, Andy McDowell's the kind of romantic interest. She's this beautiful girl, uh, and he, he gets sent to this little hick town in the middle of America where they have this ceremony where the groundhog comes out, and if it casts a shadow, it's going to do something with winter or whatever. And he gets stuck in this loop and he lives the same day, Groundhog Day, again and again and again and again, hundreds of times. And he, he, it starts to go crazy with it. And you know what? You get to a certain age and that's what life starts to be like. You just think, yeah, ground, Groundhog Day, again and again, and, and the same things start to happen and you, and you get bored. And I don't care who you are or where you are or what you do, you're going to get bored. We took our kids to Magic Mountain in America, the, the world's biggest roller coaster park. Whoa, great. And the, and the staff? Bored. Right? Yeah, they just, it doesn't matter what you do. I went on a fishing trip up to Darwin and this bloke took us out on the uh, Adelaide River and they got crocodiles on either side of the bank and my daughter's pulling in fish and we're like, she caught a good barramundi and I caught a salmon and, a guy, and, the, and the fishing guide bored out of it. Like, he got to the end of the day, he said, oh, time to go home. You know, like, boring. But I'll tell you what I manage that's logically impossible. I manage to be bored and stressed at the same time. And I bet you can manage it too. Right? You're bored with what you're doing. Oh, not this again. And you're stressed about it at the same time. So, aren't you glad you came along tonight? Your dreams are dying, you've got heartache, and Groundhog Day, and you'll be bored, and you'll be stressed at the same time. Yeah? Well, what's the an- well I'll tell you the answer. That get rid of all of that, it's become a Christian. And life will be a great adventure, won't it? And you'll never have any of that. Huh? Well, that's what um, some blokes should tell you. Now... Depending on how old you are, um, this book was really influential in, in Christian circles, very popular, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Now, I don't mean to... Actually, I am going to tip a bucket on him. I don't... It would be a small bucket because I sympathise with him. What he's trying to do is to stop the, um, the emasculation that happens to blokes by churches, OK? He's trying to stop that. And so his big thing was um, every man wants um, uh, a battle to fight... Uh, you've got to get that right, I end up, yeah, a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, and an adventure to live. Battle to fight, beauty to rescue, adventure to live. And he says things like this, life is not a problem to be solved, it's an adventure to be lived. Or don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive and go and do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Or the spiritual life cannot be suburban, said Howard Macy. It's always frontier. And we who live in it must accept and even rejoice that it remains untamed. So you become a Christian and life will be a great adventure, untamed, etc. as you head off into the wilderness. And look, 
I've been a Christian 44 years and I'm not looking for a refund, right? But, but it's not going to be an adventure the way he says. Right? Not, the way, not the same way. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get it, depending on where you are in stage of life, you're going to go to work 10,000 times, right? And one day you're going to wake up and it's going to, it probably never gets cold up here, you're living in paradise. Let me, I'll tell you what it's like in Sydney. I commuted into town for quite a while when I worked for a group called City Bible Forum. You wake up and it's commute number 7,248. All right? Monday morning, you know what that's like. And you go out and you get in the car, or these poor people down there, they get in the train, and you get in the train and the windows are fogged up and it's cold and everyone's standing there with a thousand-yard stare. Right? And they're thinking, please kill me. 7,240, only 3,000 to go or whatever. And do you know what the Christian bloke's thinking? The Christian bloke's thinking, woohoo, this is an adventure. No, he's not. He's thinking, this seems like Groundhog Day. And I'm stressed and I'm bored. And it might be like that too, as you get in the car, 7,248, and you drive to work. Or maybe you're retired and life's pretty quiet. Because, gentlemen, there'll come a time when the phone doesn't ring and you're looking for emails, you know? It's going to be quiet. So what's the answer to that? Well, I want to show you something that I found in the New Testament that's surprising um, and, and fantastic, right? Here we go. From the book of Colossians. Now, if you're not used to the Bible, uh, the New Testament is the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then a history of the early church, and then a whole lot of letters that the Christian leaders... Paul, Peter, James and others wrote to people who'd become followers of Jesus and, and how to live that life, how to live that out. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae. Colossae is a little town, well, now it's kind of an archaeological dig in modern-day Turkey. Paul had never been to Colossae. They'd become followers of Jesus through um, one of their own who heard the message and took it back to Colossae. Now, let me show you what it is that he says to them, and I'll show you something particularly that should jump out to blokes. He says this as he writes to the Christians. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Right, good. What does he pray for them? We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So he wants the Spirit of God to give them understanding, okay, of the will of God so they know how to live. Why? So you know how to live. Why? So verse 10 so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So wisdom, so you can live a life worthy of the Lord, please the Lord Jesus, yeah, bearing fruit, particularly about character and action, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So there's the work of the Spirit of God, right, to know the will of God, to be able to live the right way, live a life worthy of the Lord. Then he says, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great... So he's saying, I'm praying that the power of God will be at work in your life. Right? I mean, the power, like you notice, his glorious might. The power of God will be at work in their life, so they'll have great... What, what, what would he say? Well, um, see, lots of other people become Christians, preach and have the crowds, you know, revival come, or if you're from a kind of different flavour... Live the victory life, be healthy and wealthy and beautiful and rich and, and, and so on. 
What does he say? What's the power of God at work in, in their lives going to look like? Or in, if you're a follower of Jesus in your life, you may have great endurance and patience and giving thanks. Endurance and patience. You know what? It's so easy to miss that. Power of God at work in a bloke's life and gives him endurance and patience. So easy to miss it, unless you look in the New Testament. So I went back and um, uh, my computer and I can still do Greek from uh, college. Every time I open up the computer, I think, where were you in, where were you in the 80s, baby? Um, uh, but I looked it up. The word for patience, 23 times in the New Testament. Endurance, 32 times. And almost always it's about being patient as you wait for Jesus to return and endurance is just keep on going. Keep on going. But you know what? Unless you're looking for it, it's easy to miss it. Why? Because those blokes just keep turning up. They keep showing up. They keep doing what they're meant to do. They do it with endurance and patience. All right, now, just, just leave that over here for me, okay? We'll come back to that in a second. I want to ask you talking to a room full of blokes, I want to ask you, what's the difference between boys and men? When you look, boys and men, it's not whether you shave your face or your head or whatever, it's not the car you drive, it's not how much grog you can drink, it's not how much you can bench press. I'll tell you what it is. And I reckon Steve, Steve Bidolf, the, he's an Aussie author, lives in Tasmania, he wrote a book, The New Manhood, uh, Manhood, which is a pretty good book. He said this. I heard him in a radio interview. He said, the difference between boys and men, boys care about themselves, men care for other people. Boys care about themselves, men care for other people. I reckon he's spot on. And I reckon I've met 18-year-old men and I know 50-year-old boys. It's all about who you care about. Or, uh, I don't know if you're aware of uh, Jordan Peterson, Canadian psychologist. Um, uh, If you haven't heard of him, there's this thing called the internet that's on computers now. And um, you might like to have a look because he's all over it. Uh, What does Jordan Peterson say? Uh, In his book, 12 Rules for Life, which was the number one non-fiction book on the planet a couple of years ago, uh, here's what he says. It's for this reason that I tell my students, aim to be the person at your father's funeral that everyone in their grief and misery can rely on. There's a worthy and noble ambition. Strength in the face of adversity. That is very different from the wish for a life free of trouble. And his basic message is, um, uh, life is hard, get your act together and make life better for the people around you. Now, when he travels, he's been to Australia twice. I'll tell you who shows up to his lectures is young men because they resonate to that. The idea of get your life together, make life better for the people around you. Now, I reckon that's the essence of healthy masculinity, that you're actually prepared to step up and use the power that you have, and you have power... Uh, to make life for the people you care about, you can massively affect the lives of those around you. So step up, take responsibility and make life better. But if you put those two halves together, right, endurance and patience, 
and Groundhog Day and making life better for the people around you, taking that responsibility. How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. You make a difference with endurance and patience. You make a difference by turning up again and again and again and again. Very rarely, very rarely is it one great kind of climactic event. You know, I read a story about a bloke who's on his honeymoon up at the Gold Coast and his wife got attacked by a shark and he's come over and jumped on the shark and punched it and, you know, kind of thing. And then, yep, terrific. But you know how often that happens? Woody Allen, 80% of success is showing up. He's right. I wouldn't back everything he's done or said, but he's right about that. 80% of success is showing up and it's doing it again and again and again and again. When I was a kid, um, I, I lived right near the best example of that I've ever seen, but I was too young and too stupid to understand it. Let me show you. Let me tell you the story of my grandfather. Donald John Shaw was born uh, on the banks of the Clarence River somewhere, Brushgrove, I think, down, downstream a bit from McLean. Uh, in 1891, his father had come out from the Isle of Skye at the age of six. Um, that's an, but that's a, that's a good story, but another story. 1891. Uh, in 1915, when the First World War had started, uh, he was 24 years old. And so he and 26 other blokes, um, yep, 27 men, uh, they started at Grafton and they, they were going to volunteer to go and fight. They marched to Grafton. So they, they called themselves the Australian Boomerang um, Regiment. They marched from Grafton. Uh, by the time they got to Sydney, I think it took them uh, six weeks or something, by the time they got to Sydney, they had 240 men. He went to, uh, he volunteered, he went to France, he fought in the trenches in France, was gassed, um, knocked about, survived, came home, um, married uh, Eliza uh, and uh, became a believer in Little Presbyterian Church in Grafton. Um, this is 1935, that's my mother, uh, she was the youngest of seven. Uh, three sons, four daughters, and um, yeah, so he's nursing my mum. Uh, he's then 44 years old. Okay, so he's sitting in church. Um, that's, that's how I remember my granddad. But he's sitting in church as a 44-year-old man, and uh, the story goes, as far as I know, the Scottish minister, Reverend J.P. McQueen, stands up, and uh, I won't do the Scottish accent, but he says, um, I'm going back to Scotland and until the new minister arrives, the church services will be taken by Donald Shaw. Now, that was the first my grandfather had heard of it, okay? <laughs> so if you're a pastor, I guess that's a good way to get things done. You just like, yeah, bang, got the job. Now, okay, there you go. Now, there's only, I guess, 30, 40 people in the church. Um, my granddad had a full-time job. He worked for the Pastures Protection Board for the, for the government, so full-time Monday to Friday job, and he, he didn't have tertiary education, and he personally, just a personal thing, he didn't ever feel like he could preach um, or whatever. So what he would do, and I can still remember him doing this towards the end when I was a little kid, he'd um, prepare written sermons or published sermons by the greats like Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, uh, J.C. Ryle and others, and then he would read them and, you know, 
40-minute sermon, something like that, and beautiful deep voice, beautifully prepared. He'd read these sermons. Uh, Sunday morning, different sermon Sunday night, sometimes one on a Wednesday night. Um, it's okay, so that's how we did that. Led the singing. Um, when it came time to go on holidays, he'd, uh, he'd go camping down at Yamba, but he'd go with the family Saturday afternoon, he'd catch the bus back from Yamba back up to Grafton, lead the church, the two church meetings on Sunday, Monday morning, get back on the bus and go down, you know, for the holiday. He rode from one side of Grafton to the other carrying um, a push mower and he would mow the lawns. So that's what he did as he held the full-time job down and uh, church twice on Sunday, etc., etc. And he did that till the next minister arrived. 37 years later. I'm dead serious. 37 years later. 1972. We were living in Grafton, I remember that, and Mr McLean, big old Scottish minister, arrived. My granddad was then 83. Right? 37 years. Now, he died in 1982, and um, he was 92 years old. Um, He's a great old bloke. I didn't understand really what he'd done. Now, did it make any difference? Well, it was a little church, and he'd, uh, but I'll tell you what. In the last five, in the last five years, four, soon to be five, of his great, great grandchildren have been baptised in that church, and it's still going strong. He knew who he cared about. He knew what mattered. And as an ordinary man, and God loves ordinary men, he made lots of us, right? Uh, as an ordinary man, he committed what, endurance and patience to make a difference. So, gentlemen, let me ask you tonight, what is it that, you're, that you really care, or who is it that you really care about, and how will you look after them? Because I'll tell you how you make a difference. Rarely is it one great climactic event It's endurance and patience, and you keep on turning up. And so it's decisions like, I am going to die the death of 10,000 days at work, and it will be Groundhog Day, and I'll be surrounded by idiots at work, customers or colleagues, or, and I'll be stressed and bored, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm going to, if you're married, I'm going to feed, feed my family, put a roof over their head and care for them, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church. If you're a Christian man, I am going to get up and I am going to go to church even when I'm tired. And I am going to walk across the room and say good day to the new bloke even when it, you know, it's going to be a bit awkward. And probably no one's going to notice, but I'm going to do it. And I am going to get up on Saturday morning and drive my kids to sport. All right, I'm going to keep... Turn it up, or if I'm if you haven't got wife and kids, I'm going to commit myself to a group of people, and I'm going to make a difference for them. But it's turning up. Um, uh, and my my meagre achievements. Uh, I met I met Kathy at university. Uh, she's a beautiful Chinese lady. Um, so are her parents. Chinese, I mean, not surprisingly, I guess. Um, and they're really uh, very successful business people, uh, like 
business and money and properties and all that sort of thing. And she's the only daughter. She's got three, two older and one younger, three brothers. She's the only daughter. Uh, and they were, they were so happy to see me, blonde buffhead from the bush, um, that they told Cathy she could have an around-the-world trip to anywhere she wanted for as long as she wanted, as long as I didn't go. Um, <laughs> as I look back, completely fair enough. I got three daughters as well, like, completely fair enough. But, okay, so, you know. Um, uh, maybe five, six years ago, Kathy's brother, older brother, put his arm around me and said, I just want to thank you for being a good brother-in-law and um, looking after our little sister. Uh, and I said to Cathy, well, that only took 35 years. She said, well, what did you expect? Now, we've been married 42 years. Right? And in the last five years, both Cathy's mum and dad, when they were not well, asked me if I'd take their funerals. And I've done funerals for both her parents. Now, what amazing climactic thing did I do to have that change in family dynamics? Nothing. I, I, I just kept turning up each day for 42 years. And that's the way life is, isn't it? Um, uh, I, I was part of um, Katoomba Christian Convention. For, Katoomba Christian Convention is a it's conventions for Christians at Katoomba, okay. Um, <laughs> I was involved for 30 years. I think I made 150 trips from where I live in Sydney up to Katoomba and back. 150. Right? Now, is there any one giant life-changing thing jump out? Uh, no, but you turn up for that long, it does make a difference. Or I think over the years, I think I've given 4,000 Bible talks. Is any one life changing that, no, but you start to, you know, endurance and patience and that. So there's a question. What are you, gonna, what are you committed to? Because when you know what you're committed to, it makes all the difference. When you've decided, it makes all the difference. Um, now, you've still got to have fun. You, know, you still need to do stuff that's, that's fun. I don't know whether that's hitting a golf ball or fishing or... I've got a mate who runs ultra marathons, that's his thing that he loves, or it might be owning a Harley or, or whatever it is. You've still got to have fun, okay? But you are going to live with Groundhog Day and, and, and boredom and tedium. You, it, it's, but what I want to say to you is once you've worked out why you're doing it and who you're doing it for, it makes all the difference. Let me show you by, uh, I'll just walk you through an episode about one of the great uh, philosophers of the 20th century, Homer Simpson. Um, I don't know, I think they're up to 30 seasons now. The first 10 were brilliant. I think it's kind of gone off the boil a bit. Um, anyway, Homer. Uh, I think it's, se oh, is it season seven? I can't remember. Anyway, um, <clears throat> in, the, in, the, in the show, Mar... Uh, um, Bart and Lisa, the two older kids, that's right, the two older kids are asking Homer and Marge, mum and dad, why there's no pictures at home of Maggie, the baby. And so they said, well, let us explain. So then they go to a flashback. 
So it starts out, when Homer had two kids, Bart and Lisa, he worked out that he could leave the nuclear power plant where he, he works and go and have his dream job in the bowling alley. So he's rude to Mr Burns and uh, leaves, the, uh, leaves the nuclear power plant, goes to the bowling alley and he's happy as a pig in mud. Uh, he puts his head in the bowling ball shiner and gets his head really shiny, um, which we all know is fun, have a shiny head. And uh, it, life is wonderful. And then Marge gets pregnant for the third time and Homer realises that um, he can't survive at the bowling alley on that salary with three kids. And so he has to go back to Mr Burns and ask for his old job back. And Mr Burns has two doors going into the office. You see the big door for applicants and a pet door for supplicants. And Mr Burns makes him crawl through the supplicant door. Right? And then in an act of cruelty, Mr Burns gives him his old job back. Right? And then in front of where Homer sits, <laughs> Mr Burns put the sign up that says, don't forget, you're here forever. And so Homer has to sit at the desk of the power plant pushing a button staring at that sign. And in the last scene, right, in the last scene of the episode, he's taken the photos of Maggie the baby and put them over the sign so that it reads, do it for her. And gentlemen, once you understand who you're doing this for and why you're doing it, it changes everything. You will still live with Groundhog Day and stress and boredom and your dreams will die. And, but once you understand why and who, it changes it. And do you know what? Maybe no one will notice. Maybe no one will notice. Robert Louis Stevenson, the uh, Scottish author, said this. Everyday courage has few witnesses, but yours is no less noble because no drum beats for you and no crowds shout your name. Endurance and patience isn't flashy. Often it's not appreciated. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he notices. He notices. And so, gentlemen, that it applies to everyone, every bloke. But I think especially to the follower of Jesus. Because Jesus calls us, if you're his man, Jesus calls us to endurance and patience. And I've been following him day by day, shuffling along 44 years, maybe longer if he gives me more time. And for the Christian man, that endurance and patience has value into eternity. Not only looking after the people that you care about, but also with your mates, with your relatives who don't follow Jesus yet. It's that endurance and patience of following him that when you do eventually get the chance to speak, it gives your words authority. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, we're wired up to want purpose and, and, and meaning in life. We just, that's what we, we look for. And to know him is to know your creator and to know forgiveness and to know hope. And if you're not sure about that, ask, you've come along with a mate or the, you know, the pastor, you, you can start to find out more. Endurance and patience. That's it, Macca.
It might be the sequel. It might be the sequel. About present present fathers. Yeah, that is saying it works with a, a lot of youth who don't have fathers in their lives. Yeah. Um, and they don't have a, a kind of a rite of passage to enter into manhood. Yep. Have you done much reading on that? And yes. Yep. Uh, Farrell and Gray, the Boy Crisis. Uh, their book. It's a, it's an American book, but but they have from memory, 50, 60 pages of studies showing the positive effects of having fathers present and, and the flip side, the negative effect of not having fathers. And there's just, you know, there's a huge percentage of um, the difference. Are you likely to end up in prison? Um, drug addicted? Are you likely to be employed? Are you likely to finish school? Dads just make all of the difference. Um, and so what's the message? If you're a dad, Mostly, you need to be around, be around. Um, the interesting book called um, Adam's Return uh, by, I've just gone blank on the, um, uh, it's about chapter four or five in the book where um, uh, he talks about uh, initiation ceremonies. And um, oh, what's his name? He's a Franciscan priest. Um, Richard, thank you. Yeah, Richard Raw. Um, writes about, he, he said he studied, he doesn't say how exactly, he studied all these traditional societies and there were five common factors that young men, that boys had to learn before they could become useful men. Um, life is hard, your life's not about you, um, you're not that important, um, uh, uh, you're not in control and you're going to die. Those five happy messages. And until a bloke actually learns, a young man learns those, he's not going to be useful. Now, he talks about, um, in all of those cultures, they had a kind of initiation ceremonies. We've lost that. And what we do have is stupid things like getting blokes drunk or, or whatever. And so I'm a, I've written about those five truths. I'm just not sure what we do to... Can we replace those initiation things? I think those, that boat's sailed. Uh, but we do need older men to care for younger ones and to teach them and, to, and mentor them. I got, look, I'm not, Einstein, uh, not Einstein or whatever, but I've got more young blokes who want to meet with me than I can kind of cope with. And that there's a, um, a book out there called Father Hunger, and that is some of that. So if you're an older bloke, especially in a Christian community, to take an interest in the young blokes. Um, we've, we've, and I'll tell you what, you, 
If, if that's not there, they'll go looking elsewhere. And that's why you've got that idiot Andrew Tate. Um, he's got thousands of followers on TikTok or Twitter and, and Instagram or what. Now, if you, if you don't know who Andrew Tate is, it's probably a good thing, but he's just this useless, misogynist twerp. But yeah, but there's all these young men following him. On the positive side, Jordan Peterson's got a positive um, message and he's got thousands of young men following him. So they're, they're out there looking. You're absolutely right. Yep. Got a quick couple of questions through it. Yeah. Um, it's not only endurance. Right? And so the New Testament will talk about, about joy and love and, and hope and etc. But you're going to need endurance. Okay? And abundant life, sure. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I've come to may have life and have it abundantly. But I tell you, the other promise Jesus says is you're going to have a hard time. There'll be hard times. You will have hard, you know, you will, you will suffer as a Christian. Um, and if you're not expecting to need endurance and patience, if you're not expecting that, uh, it's going to knock you over. Uh, and so um, uh, if you haven't had suffering yet as a Christian, that's great, but it's on the way, and you're going to need endurance and patience. That's not the only thing, joy, love, hope, etc. but you do need endurance. 32 times in the New Testament. Uh, yes, there is a time to do that. And, you know, don't die wondering is what I tried to teach my kids. Uh, when? It's harder in the hypothetical. I mean, you've got to balance your responsibilities and being able to look after people and care for people and sure there's time to take risks and make change. But I guarantee the big change you make and then you go and do whatever it is that you really love, it'll be Groundhog Day event eventually. Go and look at the bloke who started the fishing shop because he loved fishing. Huh? He's sitting behind the counter not going fishing. Right? Same as the bloke who starts the golf shop because he loves golf. Well, he's in the shop not playing golf. So, it, you know, it's going to... Uh, sure, make changes, do that kind of thing. Be wise. Look after the people you're meant to. Um, but I think, I think boredom and repetitiveness, in a way, is just a fact of life. In your book, you talk of being choked out by Groundhog Day. I totally relate to that. It says, I'm going crazier every day in my boring job. You spoke tonight of God giving us his strength to endure and to be patient. I've been a Christian for decades. Why isn't he giving me that strength? Not sure I want to give a cliched answer to that one, Macca. It does sound like, though, whoever's written that has had strength, have stayed and stuck it out. But it may, it's probably not wrong to look for changes, etc. But I do think once you know why you're doing that and who you're looking after and, and why you're happening, you know, do it for her, I think it does change it. But I, I'd, I'd want to talk to whoever has done that, ever said that 
I think I'd want to listen more before I said anything. Yeah. Do you think it's dangerous for young blokes to have big aspirations? No, it's good to be ambitious, but just be ambitious about the right things. Right? If you think making a whole lot of money or whatever is the meaning of life, you're going to be very disappointed. Um, yeah, so Jesus tells us if you're a Christian man, seek first his kingdom. Jesus is Lord in the way that you live. That, that's a great ambition. So, yeah, it's good to be ambitious, but about the right things. Do you see particular opportunities for Christian men in churches to support single mothers in raising their children? Uh, yes. Yes. And as a community, that's what we're called to do, to actually look after one another. So a single mum, a single mum will need help. But you just need to be wise in how you do that. Right? So um, if you've got a single mum in your church, if you're a married man, then help her as a couple. Right? So um, my Kathy, I don't know how many young women my Kathy mothers at our church, and I mean like it's, it's many. I just kind of hang around trying to be useful. But... Um, Yes, to help single mums, just be aware of the whole male-female dynamics and be wise in how you do it. Um, there's, there's questions are coming in, this is great. Uh, where does the call of God in a man's life play alongside patience and endurance? Where does the call of God play on? Play alongside patience and endurance. Uh, my reading of the New Testament is that the idea of the call of God is that you're called to follow Jesus um, rather than called to a particular job or a particular place necessarily. And so you're called to follow Jesus and then I think it's a matter then of, uh, of asking for God's wisdom as you work out where you can be most productive in serving Jesus. Okay. And then how will you do that? Well, Paul prays that as you're wise, understand the will of God as you live a life that honours him, that God will give you endurance and patience as you do that. I guess part of what I'm just saying is we easily see the, the, um, the flashy and the charismatic, the, you know, the great preacher, the great intellect, the great musician, etc. You, you see that as a gift, a gift of God. You know, if someone's a great musician, that is a gift from God that he did not give me. It's easy to see that. It's easy to miss endurance and patience. It's easy to miss the man that does 37 years of reading Charles Spurgeon's sermons week by week to a little group of people. But there's the, you know, the power of God at work. Sometimes I feel like Job in the Bible because if you read the last two verses of Job, Job had three daughters and they were the most beautiful girls in all the land. There you go. Uh, daughters need their dads around as, um, as a role model for the kind of man that they should be looking to and so that they can feel safe with men. And so I think one of the main things is dads... 
Be around for your daughters. Be that man who loves them and makes them feel good about themselves and um, uh, is that positive, safe presence in their life. Uh, yeah. Um, and also, assuming you're married as well, like you're together with your wife, ask her what's going on half the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yep. And um, two men said, stop now. <laughs> I had a son for the Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's plenty of times we're sitting there and I've got great girls. We, we raise them. They are strong-minded, independent young women. But as they're growing up, you know, pretty regularly we're having a meal or something and one of them would scream and run out of the room. And I'd say to Kathy, what just happened? And she'd just shake her head So I don't know. Be around, love them, care for them. Try and understand them. Yeah. Um, another question. Um, I've not spent a great deal of time getting to know my children through most of their lives. Now that they're adults, are there things that you think I can do to improve them? Mm. I, I think you're... And once again, look, I'm just making this up as I go, okay? Um, I think your role as a dad changes over time as obviously the power dynamic changes. When they're little, you make all their decisions. You decide what they eat, where they sleep, what they, and, then, um, uh, to a certain, and then eventually they'll choose your walking frame and your nursing home, right? And so the, the change. So once they're young adults, you're becoming more of a life coach, I think, and uh, be careful with advice. I generally try not to give advice unless it's asked for, and that's listening, making suggestions, turning up, trying to arrange time with them, that sort of thing. And so my guess would be just turning up, encouraging them, treat them like young adults, and um, uh, once again, it's kind of time to try and... Build. I don't know how bad the relationship is, so, or if there's, if there's problems there, but mostly that's trying to have just time together um, without demanding too much, I think. Once again, it's a matter of, it depends a bit. I'd like to listen more before I said too much. But you become more of an encourager and coach, right, rather than an instructor, because they'll, yeah. And they do need encouragement when they're... Uh, all their life, they still need someone to be their dad, someone to be older. Yeah. Well, I don't have any more questions here. Last opportunity from the floor. Going, going, gone. Gone. Um, let's thank Al again. For oh.
fancy stuff outside, feel free to uh, hang around. There's also copies of ours booked and they'll be on sale at the door.